0: said he couldn't stay for the whole game. I hadn't seen him in a few years and could tell that he had aged and was moving slowly. But he was, by God, going to get at least one more swing in the artist and writer's game. And if he put the ball in play, Ken wanted me to run for him. If you were George's age or had some kind of injury or simply hadn't played softball for a long time, tradition would give you a runner, and sometimes from home to first. The runner would take a spot behind the catcher to make it fair for the guys in the field if the batter actually did put the ball in play. When Ken told George he had a runner for him, George, in his usual courtly manner, said, I'm fine running for myself, thank you. Ken still nodded at me and told me to go over and get into position to take off for first if he managed to get his bat on the ball. So there he stood that day still as skinny as he was when he played quarterback for the Lions and when he boxed with Archie Moore. Bat held high, in an almost regal way. It's slow-pitch softball in our game, but he looked as serious as if he were standing in against Tom Seaver or Sandy Koufax in his prime. It meant he was still George, even in his 70s. He wanted to get a hit. And he did. Did he ever. He hit the first pitch he saw on a line into left field, at which point I took off for first base. So did George. If he saw me take off from behind him and to his right, he paid no attention, or simply didn't care. When you get a hit like that, then you're still a jock. You're still the guy who wanted to get into the game and then write books about doing it. Mostly you wanted to be young again and run, for yourself. George ran inside the first baseline. I ran outside it. I was already laughing before he saw me, like he was glancing into the side mirror on his car and saw a small car trying to pass him in the right-hand lane. Then he started laughing. The only concession I made to his age was so that he could get to first base before I did. The crowd loved it. He smiled as he stood on first and gave me a quick high-five. Then he said to me what he said to Ken Auletta, I can run for myself, thank you. And did. And did look young and happy. So we had that shared history at the softball game. There was a bit more that always made me happy, especially when he was gone. The first house I ever rented up the road in Sagaponic was a beautiful old house at the intersection of Sag Main and Hedges Lane. I shared it that summer with the writer and boxing commentator Larry Merchant and his family. Later. I learned that that house had been purchased by George Plimpton. It means that when people ask me where my history began in that part of the world, I met my wife there and got married there and owned my own first house there, I will always be able to say, In the Plimpton house. I will tell you this about George Plimpton. After having spent a lifetime of my own writing about sports, he really was a wonderful sports writer. It started with him being such a gifted reporter. He had that kind of eye, something you either have or don't. On top of all that, George Plimpton had the essential skill of any good sports writer. He always knew what the story was and where it was. An old editor of mine at the New York Daily News, Jim Wills, used to talk about what he called the frozen moment. You found it at the event you were covering and froze it in time and built your piece from there. But please understand, none of this wouldn't have mattered if George Plimpton, a son of privilege who loved locker rooms and jocks, couldn't write like a dream. Here is just one frozen moment from Shadowbox, the book you are about to hear, about the day he climbed into the ring with Archie Moore at Stillman's gym. He came at me quite briskly, and as I poked at him tentatively, his left reached out and thumped me alarmingly. As he moved around the ring, he made a curious humming sound in his throat, a sort of peaceful aimless sound one might make pruning a flower bed, except that from time to time the hum would rise quite abruptly, and bang, he could cuff me alongside the head. I would sense the leaden feeling of being hit, an almost acrid whiff of leather off his gloves, and I would blink through the sympathetic response and try to focus on his face, which looked slightly startled, as if he could scarcely believe he had done such a thing. Then I'd hear the humming again, barely distinguishable against the singing in my own head. A three-minute round, four sentences.